This episode of Shameless is brought to you by Preen Bags, lightweight and machine washable bags that will take you from work to the gym to the beach. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Coming up on today's show, the Jada Pinkett Smith profile we cannot get enough of, the breakdown of a Bartel marriage, and finally the rise of compassion fatigue. How much can we really care about everything all the time? But before we get to any of that, Michelle, how was your week? I had a really good week, thank you. It is shining outside, and by it I mean the sun. (laughs) (laughs) Can we just replace any reference to the sun as it now? Now we can. No, but it's beautiful, and I can see flowers in your front garden are blooming. I see little bees buzzing around. Spring is officially or almost officially here, and I'm so, so excited. As someone who hates winter, I've been hanging out for this for so long. That was the most exaggerated picture painting of what's going on outside. I don't think there's a bee and there's there barely bees any flowers. In Zara McDonald, there are bees in that bush. If you lean forward, there's you'll a, be able to see, I can see about six. There's a massive pole in my way. Don't you, when you see a bee now, you're just like, how can I help you? Bees are really struggling. Surely you know about this. Every time I see a bee, I'm like, Wait, are precious, they precious being. They're going, Zara. Okay. I'm going to flag this before we get to compassion fatigue. I can't care about everything all the time. I can't care about the fucking bees. We actually kind of do need to care about bees. Do Remember we? that? There was that movie that was made about bees and how we need to save them. The cartoon for kids. Anyway, we're getting into Bugs the whole eye. thing. No, oh my God. Bug's eye. Bug's People life. Are environmentalists are going to be listening to this entire episode and just hating us. But yes, bees are important and you need to take care of them when you see them. Okay, I'll care for the bees. How was your week, though? (laughs) It was really good. I do have two recommendations this week. I'm a huge Seth Godin fan, and I've tried to get you into his stuff, and you just refuse. It's not necessarily a case of refusing. I just haven't really sought him out, though it's the kind of thing that I know if I did, I'd be into it. Yeah, he's like the world's marketing genius. He's basically heralded as the leading marketing guru in the entire world. He did an interview on the Tim Ferriss show. It's actually from 2016, but Tim Ferriss reshared it in the feeds late last month. And it's all about how he manages his life and how he has achieved the level of success that he has. And I think these are two very intelligent, very interesting men. And I really highly recommend if you're in business or if you just genuinely have an interest in marketing, have a listen to that episode. The way he organizes his life is fascinating. It's two hours long and I listened to the entire thing. Hey, did you listen to it in parts or did you just listen to it as you're cleaning the house or something you know what i'm doing at the moment i'm listening to almost like a long form podcast between every night when i'm cooking dinner so i might be cooking dinner for 20 30 minutes and i listen to it four nights in a row when i'm cooking smart yeah it's really nice it makes me enjoy cooking when i'm kind of terrible at it speaking of cooking i have a budget friendly and healthy lunch idea for people who work from home don't roll your eyes at me zara mcdonald i didn't roll my eyes the listeners can't see me roll my eyes because you sent me a photo of this thing and i said to you and i don't use this word because it reminds me of being 14 or 15 i said it looks kind of rank it's not rank it's <laughs> yum so if you guys work from home or if you really just want a budget friendly meal idea for lunch times at work bird's eye have a steam fresh plus range see it's, everyone's just up. nodding thinking yes very rank shut up it's 
pearl couscous with chickpeas with carrot, peas, spinach, onion, and capsicum. Sounds gross. It's actually really tasty. You get it from the frozen food aisle. They come in like little steam packs. Yes, it uses plastic. I am sorry. I need to save money, and this is how I'm doing it. I put it in the microwave for two and a half minutes. I add soya sauce, and then I add maybe like some ham or some chicken or whatever. $2.50 a pack, and it is so healthy and so yummy and so easy. And Zara, we spent way too much money on meals this entire year. I'm trying to cut back on that. Do not laugh at my pursuit of a more budget-friendly lifestyle. We have a money podcast. I would rather go broke. Sorry, Victoria Devine. I would rather go broke. Fuck you. What, do you. what was your week like? What do you recommend? Oh, very I'm actually No, I'm actually annoyed. I've broken I don't, her. I don't, I've broken her over the bird's eye. I don't think you can have an opinion until you taste it. And so oh, I'll totally. have to make I'm it I'm a for big you. proponent on not allowing people to have opinions on something they haven't tried or read about, but I'm just in the mood. Stop being judgy. <laughs> my, my week was good, though. I listened to an old episode of How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, and it was Deborah Francis White who was interviewed on this podcast. I told you to listen to it. Did you get around to it yet? Not yet. I was too busy listening to Tim Ferriss and Seth Godin. Totally fine. Fair enough. This one's a little bit shorter. What I found most interesting about this interview is Deborah Francis White's perspective on failure. And I find failure to be a bit of an overdone concept. Like Mm -hmm. I don't find it particularly interesting when people talk about failure, however relatable it might be. But what she said was, is she was talking back to her old stand-up days and she was saying that one of the exercises that they used to do, they would get a theatre full of people and rising comics would get on stage. Wait, I've listened to this interview. Is This this came out a while ago. Yeah, it's really old. You're not new on this. Oh, I've already listened to this. It's a great interview. I said it was very old. Sorry, my bad. (laughs) Yeah, no, this story about her and what they made them do in this theatre class is fucking terrifying. So what they did was they would stand up on this stage and when anyone in the audience got bored, they could just get up and leave. Like the idea was they had to get up and leave the second they got bored. These rising comics would be presenting to a crowd of people who were just leaving. And she said that it wasn't intimidating after you go the first go because she started to talk about failure as just finding process. Like you start to think about failure as a science. And she said to find a best process in this kind of activity, you have to keep going and going and going the whole time. And you're just ruling out what doesn't work like it's literally just a mathematical equation and wasn't the project or the exercise that they had to keep performing until every last person had left exactly yes and you couldn't stop performing that makes me want to shrivel up exactly and she said that when she started it she thought the same thing but i think the first time you go you realize nothing bad happens when everybody leaves Mm. so you spend the entire time backstage thinking of new ideas and thinking okay i'm just gonna throw this at them i'm gonna throw this at them until something sticks she described it a bit like data collection that like failure in your youth is a bit like data collection you're just collecting bits of data about stuff that works and stuff that doesn't so that you eventually find the equation that does And it reminded me a bit, do you remember that very famous Ira Glass quote where he talked about creativity? No. And he talked a lot about how creative people, when they start out, struggle because they have spark and they have ideas, but they don't have the talent. And in order to find that talent, they have to push out a bunch of kind of shit work. And this is me paraphrasing Ira Mm -hmm. Glass. But he said, and if you're just starting out or if you're still in this phase, you've got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is a lot of work. Do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month, you know, you're going to finish one story. It is only by going through a volume of work that you're going to catch up and close the gap. And the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. So interesting. So it's like, even when you're young, 
young and you have this desire to create great work, you're not going to. Mm. And I think both of those things together I found quite interesting this week, given a lot of the stuff we're working on at the moment that, that we're pushing out that I often don't feel as confident in. It's kind of a case of just having to push out a volume of work before it looks like what you want it to look like. And I know this isn't a segment, it's just recommendations. Yeah, sorry, I've I do taken this say, wildly. <laughs> no, 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 I'm actually loving it. I think it's a really interesting topic to talk about failure. I do want to say I think one of the best decisions I made in my career was starting the 20 Story, which was a blog that I began on my 20th birthday. I look back on some of those blog posts now. I would have written hundreds in a couple yeah. of years. And I look back on some of them. I'm like, oh my God, that is so poorly written. The idea isn't fully fleshed out. It's not quite there. However, I honestly believe churning out that blog twice a week for two years was the best thing I could have done for my career because it made me better at what I do in the long run when it mattered. Well, think about how we approach this podcast. We had no idea what we we're doing at the start. There are a bunch Don't of terrible episodes. <laughs> it's too late. We always do. There are a bunch of terrible episodes but we had to keep churning them and punching them out in order to get good at what we do. Mm. And so I've just found this entire thing very interesting. I would so recommend going back and listening to that episode of How to Fail with Deborah Francis-White because it was a different perspective on failure that I hadn't heard that was incredibly clinical and I found that very refreshing. Oh, my God, before we jump in as well, I'm so sorry. I know this is a long-winded intro, but I think it's a pretty good one. (laughs) If you you may say so yourself. No, I think it's worth it because we totally missed our 100th episode this week. Oh, my God. Yes, and we've almost forgotten like our 100 second episode yeah i think we're up to 104 now this is so sad guys we missed our 100th episode <laughs> what we have done can we have an episode 106th party next week what can we do is it 106 next week i think it'll be next week we're 104 today i'm pretty oh, sure good maths michelle can we have a party like probably not <laughs> we missed it now what do we have to wait for 150 we can't celebrate 150 if you didn't celebrate 100 we're literally gonna have to wait till episode 500 or 1000 i think it's 1000 i'm so sad we could have had an excuse to go out and drink or like do something with the listeners and we completely missed it. Yeah, we're really sorry about that. We're not so good at the old math thing, which includes counting. So there you go. So sad. Today's first segment, we're finally there. What are we talking we about, We are Zara? finally there. So there was a brilliant interview or profile with Jada Pinkett Smith in The Guardian this week, which we shared on our Instagram channels I put in the Facebook group too because it was a really lovely read. You liked it too. Absolutely, I loved it. If you're listening to this and you're not familiar with Jada Pinkett Smith, she is an actress from films like The Matrix. She's a singer-songwriter. She's a children's book author she has her own production company and of course she is the wife of will smith and mother of willow and jaden smith Correct. And I think what was so refreshing about this profile is it was kind of one of the first times that I had seen Jada Pinkett Smith in the spotlight alone without any references. I mean, there were often references to her family, her husband, her children, but she was the standalone star in this profile. And rightly so. Jada Pinkett Smith has been coming back into the fray in the last couple of years because of Red Table Talk, which is her Facebook watch talk show where they literally sit around that red table and talk about anything. I think for a lot of you guys, it might be on your radar because it was where Jordan Woods did her very first interview after that entire saga. And it's been wildly and almost surprisingly popular. Absolutely. So most episodes typically feature Jada, her mother, Adrienne, who is public about her battle with addiction issues, and then her daughter, Willow, who only recently came out as polyamorous. So they sit down and they discuss everything from polyamory to addiction to different issues that women deal with across their lives. And I found this Guardian profile on Jada so interesting because I think historically I have rolled my eyes at her a little bit and I don't quite know why. I think... I always saw Jada Pinkett Smith as someone who intentionally overshared details of her life, for example, her porn addiction last year, in search of eyeballs and views. And I saw that it was very transactional in that sense. But now that I've taken the time to really research her and read that profile, 
I realize more of what she's doing and why she's doing it. Do you agree? Uh, completely. And I don't know if I had ever rolled my eyes at her, but I had certainly discarded her or she wasn't on my radar. To be honest, in the public eye, she's always very much been known as Will Smith's wife. Like that's how she's been framed. And there's a lot of Miley to her, I think, coming back off mm, last week. I think yeah. that unashamed sexuality, the desire to share parts of herself and to be open that some of us are too prudish to do so. Mm. I think she just wants to start genuinely candid conversations. Like I think that's her baseline intention, that there is nothing showy about it there's no grab for attention or fame because to be honest she doesn't need it like that exists already around them absolutely I think it's really interesting right I think there's a bit of a generational divide in that women who are my mum's age would look at what Jada Pinkett Smith is doing and roll their eyes and think why do you need to talk about your private life so much keep the private private and I think over the years I'm kind of developing this belief that that women don't gain anything from keeping private matters private. I think it's something historically that has kind of kept us in our shells and kept us apart from each other because how do women connect if we all stay silent and how do we know what each other's going through if we all stay silent? And I think the beauty of what Jada Pinkett Smith is doing is opening up conversations that we've been taught shouldn't be public and that we've taught we should be ashamed of and I think the more we talk about this stuff the less shame there is well that's what I was going to say silence breeds shame whatever the topic or whatever the issue and I think Jada Pinkett Smith is also putting herself on the line in order to do that I do think though on the flip side there were a reasonable amount of raised eyebrows about her and Will Smith throwing their kids into the limelight when Mm. they were very young and I think people were naturally uncomfortable about that I think people have come around to it now the kids are older and have more power and agency over their careers but I do think some quiet resentment or some confusion around those two does stem from them throwing their kids in the limelight very early. I understand that but I also think they let Willow in particular retreat when she wanted to retreat after she released Whip My Hair I think yeah, it was but called. she went on like a world tour first. Yeah but she, she also tiny. said I don't want to do it and then she completely retreated and now she's not really But there were conversations, I think, in this piece particularly about how Willow was pushed to continue performing and did express a desire to stop Mm. and her parents didn't let her stop until a good amount of publicity had been generated. Mm. And I do have an issue with that. That said, it's totally minor in comparison to everything else. I did find this quote very interesting from Jada when she was referring to how Will considers her kind of second wind, I guess. And she said, he thinks I am finally finding a place for my voice. And it started to make me think about how the mature woman seemed to be almost having their moment. And I don't want to be like hyperbolic or overly patronizing about it and say, yay, now middle-aged women or mature women are free to be who they want to be. But I do think there's something to say for how we are making space for them, like the Jennifer Garners of the world. I think previously we had no clue what to do with these women because if a woman isn't youthful or procreating We don't know what her purpose is. Yeah, I understand that. I agree. I think as well in Jennifer Aniston, she's all over YouTube right now promoting, I think, a a new movie or a new TV series or something. I think the revival of Jennifer Aniston and her place in pop culture says a lot about how our attitudes towards women are changing hopefully and I don't think it's working across the board I still think there's like so long to go but I think it's this idea that they're finally stepping out of the shadow of their partners or their exes or the forces that stifled them and they are getting that second wind and I think for all we lament social media and the digital realm the power that this has given the mature woman is crazy the Jada Pinkett Smith who wants to do Facebook watch the Jennifer Garners who shows her personality on Instagram Mm. by reading like rogue children's books Mm. Jennifer Aniston who's on YouTube we're finally 
finding space for them and it's on social media. Well, it's not even we're finding space for them. They're finding space for themselves. Totally. Because we didn't give it to them. I mean, this isn't happening on a network. It's not happening on a streaming service for a reason. I think there is a very distinct reason why these women are taking up space on social media. And I applaud them. I mean, I think Red Table Talk is really unique and powerful. And I really regret ever looking at Jada Pinkett Smith and rolling my eyes because I think making the personal public is powerful and I think she does it in a really candid, wonderful way. Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara McDonald, you are taking it away, although I'm looking at this list and realizing that I shoved most of the headlines down your throat. Yeah, you absolutely did. Number one, Chloe Kardashian shuts down criticism after making vacation calories joke alongside a photo of her daughter True and niece Shy. That is from People magazine. Did you see this? No. <laughs> I disagree with the sentiment online about this story. So basically for those who missed it like Zara, Chloe Kardashian put a Twitter photo up of her daughter and niece eating junk food. They were eating like chips and I don't know, soft drink and whatever. And she said something to the effect of uh, calories on vacation don't count. And it was a joke as if the kids were saying this to each other in a conversation. And lots of the people on this post were saying, how dare you normalize calorie counting in children? This is such a dangerous behavior to push onto your little girl. Why are you even talking about this type of stuff? And to be brutally honest, it made me pretty exasperated. It's taking a little too literally, isn't it? Yeah. And people were saying this is literally going to affect True's relationship with food into the future. And I just think, like, I think we need to take a deep breath when it comes to stuff like this. It's a very common phrase to talk about holiday calories not counting. I don't think Khloe Kardashian is going to be putting her baby daughter on a diet anytime soon. After Uh, the holiday. Yeah, and, like, to be honest, yeah, the Kardashians are bad for body image. I'm going to say that. And maybe in other areas of the Kardashians' lives, they will pass that on to their children in a negative way. But this post, like, it's a joke. I don't think it's harmful. I think we all need to take a deep breath. It's kind of oversimplifying how issues around body image kind of stem as well. Like if it's going to stem from that, then we're all fucked. I think it's just taking things too seriously. Like it's really not an issue. I really don't think we need to make this one. Number two, I think about this a lot. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to get through this. The time Robert Pattinson blatantly lied on the Today Show, that is from the cut. I need to explain (laughs) this story before I do lose it. So my cousin Emily put this in the Facebook group this week and I was at your house, Michelle, and I don't know if I was tired or if the story warranted it, but I completely lost the plot. It was the kind of thing where we'd go silent and go back to work and then one of us would just erupt into giggling again because we couldn't stop replaying it over in our heads. This story is bizarre and amazing. So just to start, the headline, I think about this a lot, is a series from The Cut where they just sort of randomly wax lyrical about things from the past that they want to bring up out of nowhere. It's a very good way to get clicks. It's pretty clever. It's a great way to bring up stories that are completely irrelevant today that have no new news hook. But just Literally be like, just to get clicks. Hey, here's a funny story that happened 10 years ago. Yes. This story in particular focuses on how when Robert Pattinson was starring in that random film Water for Elephants that kind of didn't go anywhere or do anything, he went on the Today Show. At the start of his interview with Matt Lauer, he was asked, did you ever feel like you wanted to run away to the circus? That was literally his opening line. Did you ever feel like you wanted to run away to the circus when you were a kid? No, Pattinson responded, he did not. The first time I went to see the circus, somebody died. (laughs) One of the clowns died. And then Matt Lauer goes, oh, how did he die? (laughs) 
Robert Pattinson goes, his little car exploded. The joke car exploded on him. And so they have this sort of back and forth very awkwardly about it being a really weird fucking way to take the story <laughs> about running away to the circus. And then later in the press junket, everybody kept asking Robert Pattinson about the time that he saw a clown die at the circus. Can you imagine journalists as well trying to research which time this happened? Like this would have been newsworthy at the time. Oh, my God. If a clown exploded in his little car. <laughs> I know it's absurd. Okay. So, so on another press junket, on the same press junket in a different interview, a journalist asked um, Robert Pattinson about it, asking for a few more facts around it. He said, I did say those things, but I actually made the whole thing up. It's coming back to haunt me. I said it on the show. It was really early in the morning, the day after the New York (laughs) premiere. Someone asked me what my experience with the circus was like, and I was like, I have nothing interesting to say. I don't know why I said that. (laughs) Fancy blaming the most fucking ridiculous story on being tired. I do feel like this is a very unrelatable story, but at the same time, there is a thread through it that I do kind of see myself in, in that when I was much younger, not now, I used to lie about really ridiculous things and then get caught out in them. What was the biggest lie you've told that you've been caught out about? Oh, actually, this is a really terrible story, but I'm about to start it anyway. Yes. When I was in year seven and I moved to a new school, I thought it would be funny to troll everyone by trying to make friends by telling them all that Lucas from Home and Away was my cousin. Were you trolling them though, or did you want clout? I was trolling. I'm more than sure I was trolling. Mm. So they all asked me for Lucas. You were trolling. They they all asked me for Lucas from Home and Away's uh, signature because back then, or autograph, whatever it is, you know, that was the only connection you had to celebrities. So I went home and asked mum for her best gold permanent marker, cut up, like literally cut up A4 pieces of paper, signed from Lucas and handed them out. And I didn't tell anyone for like three years that this fake autograph was me in my bedroom. So when you had like family Christmases, were they like, how's Lucas? Yeah, probably. I did do it to troll. I should, I should clarify. Wait, what about you? Um, one of my bigger lies is from when I was in primary school, I told my teacher in my entire class that my family had just moved from London because my dad is from England, but he moved when he was like eight. So I thought it'd be a cool story to tell them. Not only was I from the UK, but a really close family member died on the Titanic. Uh, I think my timeline classic. was a little bit out. And then when totally it came out. to um, parent-teacher interviews, Mr. Snell sat down with my mom and was like, wow, your accent has really gone quickly. And she <laughs> told him that we're not from London and it was really really embarrassing I will never forget that moment but yeah yours is less embarrassing than mine because I was like a good 14 <laughs> years old when I decided to make mine up anyway that is such a good story that's my favorite story of the we've week. got time we might be Robert Patterson's age maybe we should put something into an interview that's just completely I fake tell a story on the podcast and just go wild <laughs> number three seven questions about hot girl summer you were too embarrassed to ask that is from Vox have you seen this around like not at all it is the most prevalent meme in the US right now and that everyone's putting in their captions so girls will be posing on a boat on say or Croatia or posing in their bikini or whatever and the caption will be hot girl summer I think it's also been used by Miley Cyrus and Caitlin Carter in their Instagram stories it is very very prolific and so I wanted to look into why and how it's actually come about and Vox has done a really good explainer looking at the different musicians behind it and how hot girl summer became the phrase of the season and I wonder if when we get into summer now hot girl summer will become a thing over here as well. Wait, so what actually is it? So it's basically the idea that women should be able to wear whatever the hell they want, do whatever the hell they want and have fun without judgment. So I think it's kind of like embrace your hotness, embrace your sexiness, embrace your wild side without 
kind of turning to each other and having that snarkiness or that bitchiness. It's about being like, okay, this is a hot girl summer. We're able to wear whatever we want, do whatever we want, post photos of us twerking like Miley Cyrus did on her Instagram channel. So it's kind of feminist but also running on the implication that women are catty to each other. So it's kind of anti-feminist. Kind of. No, but I think it's from men as well. Like no one can judge me. It's a hot girl summer. I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, which I kind of really like. Is it a bit lame? No, I actually think, well, maybe you're a bit lame because the people behind <laughs> this are actually like legit musicians and stuff. So, okay, I'll fine. I'll check it out. <laughs> Number four, Leonardo DiCaprio urges people to save Amazon rainforest. That is from Lab Bible. This has sparked a lot of attention from celebrities really recently. The Kardashians were all tweeting about this on Friday. We've had Ariana Grande come out, Leonardo DiCaprio. Of course, he is like a champion of all things climate change. Are you across the story? Yeah, like little pits. I think I wasn't as across the story as I potentially should be. It's also not the most simple story to get across. Like it's not something that we're going to be able to deliver in sound bites. I would recommend people to go and Google this stuff and actually read up on it to understand why it's been so prolific on social media recently and why people care so much. I mean, fundamentally, people are making the comparison between Notre Dame and the Amazon rainforest. The Amazon rainforest has been on fire for weeks, burning the size of a football field every minute. Yes. And there has been no outrage and no money thrown at it either. There's also one million Indigenous people living in the Amazon rainforest. So it's very, very crucial that this is resolved as soon as possible. But definitely go read on it. Also, listen, there was an episode of Triple J Hack last week where the final eight minutes covered this in depth and spoke to a scientist about not only the cause, but I guess the effect this will have on the world at large. So go and listen to that podcast episode. Go read up about it and share it i think it's important i think the more voices we get behind this the more change will happen and number five heidi montag has released her first christian pop song that is from the hit network have you seen this story around michelle no i haven't heard the song either okay so the song is called glitter and glory (laughs) (laughs) don't laugh i'm not and to be honest if heidi montag can release her first christian pop song then so can we oh Okay. The auto-tune is wild. I want to play it. I might just put in 10 seconds right now so that you all can come to your own conclusion and we don't have to make any commentary on it at all. They say diamonds are forever. Well, I say only time will tell. Do you have a favourite lyric, though? My favourite lines, I think, would be the start ones, which are, they say diamonds are forever. Well, I say only time will tell. They say money makes you happy, but I'm not buying what they sell. Just feels very curious from someone like Heidi Montag and Spencer Pratt, who've made a fuckload out of reality TV and bought so much they went broke. Is that all you've got for me today? That is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Zara, finding the perfect versatile bag can be quite the mission when you literally just need one to chuck everything in. Oh my God, totally, which is why we have been loving our preen bags so much in the last few months. Preen bags are made from lightweight, machine washable and vegan-friendly neoprene. Literally like a wetsuit is the best way I could explain it, Michelle. And are the perfect midpoint between being stylish and functional. We started using our preen bags maybe three months ago and I'm, I'm actually not kidding. I use it every day, every single day for every single thing. I'm obsessed. It's so embarrassing because now we have the same bag to take everywhere. And we very nearly like confused our bags a lot, but they are so cute. I love having a tote bag because they're made for busy women who want something that will fit their laptop without looking clunky and boring. I remember when I was at uni, it was actually impossible to find a cool bag that would fit my laptop really well. I'm a sucker also for the rope handles and detailing around the edges too. And they're very easy to clean when you are a frazzled human. 
women like me who will inevitably spill coffee over everything you own. <laughs> we love that Preen Bags is a Melbourne-based female-founded brand too. Tammy Green founded the company from her bedroom floor in her first year of university. And three years later, Preen Bags are stocked in 400 stores worldwide. So you guys are supporting a young female startup. So impressive. And as a special offer to you guys, Preen Bags are now offering Shameless listeners 10% off with the discount code SHAMELESS. Yep, Preen rarely do sales too because of the high demand. So use Shameless at the checkout to get 10% off your order, valid until September 26. Thank you so much to Preen Bags for making this episode of Shameless possible. This week, paparazzi parked themselves out the front of Nadia Bartel's Melbourne home after news broke of her split with former AFL star husband Jimmy, after it was confirmed he had a long-term partner based in London. It's a story that's proved many things. For one, how insatiable our appetite is for news stories around celebrity relationships. But Mish, what I want to do today is I want us to walk our non-Melbourne-based listeners through the context of this story and why Nadia and Jimmy are such a big deal in Melbourne before we actually dive into how interesting the news coverage of the story has been. Absolutely. I'm sure if you're not from Melbourne, you will be familiar with the name Beck Judd and yes. Chris Judd. They would be the ultimate sporting super couple in Australia. I would say Nadia Bartel and Jimmy Bartel are runners up in terms of super couples. <laughs> Way to rank them. So if you're not familiar, Nadia Bartel is a fashion businesswoman. She has a successful e-store called The Connection. She also has her very own fashion label called, I think it's Henne pronounced. It's Henny, I think. Henny which launched only recently. She married one of Australia's most loved and successful football stars, Jimmy Bartel, in 2014. Jimmy won three premierships as well as a Brownlow medal, the most coveted award in the game, and a Norm Smith medal. He is only one of two players to have ever achieved that level of success. And the Norm Smith career. medal is best in ground in the grand final, right? I've watched, the, I've watched the football before. Zara McDonald. So they are a massive deal, not just in Melbourne, but I would say Australia more generally. Nadia has almost 600,000 Instagram followers. She is a big personality, a big star. And Jimmy has been very much loved up until maybe recently. I think for me, this story has piqued my interest. A, I think the element of surprise for a lot of people. I think a lot of people, whether we like it or not, are invested in couples we don't know, which is very strange when it's at a local level. I think there's a huge element of surprise because they haven't seemed like a couple that's been part of much salacious drama or gossip in the past. No. But for Nadia, I think my overriding thought at the start was it's an incredibly difficult position to be in for her for many reasons. The first is that people fucking love AFL footballers in Australia. Like AFL footballers can kind of do whatever they like. Australia also hates dirty laundry. So what happens if you find yourself in a position where your marriage breaks down and the public inference is that your partner or your husband had a long-term relationship with someone that lived in London and you were wronged, what do you actually do? Mm. I think for her, how do you make sure that you're given the sympathy that you deserve and that the narrative is as accurate as you deserve without throwing Australia offside because of all of those things I mentioned? And that's the thing, the narrative before detail came out about why they split was very toxic. The amount of trolling that Nadia Bartel got, particularly on her Instagram page, but also in the comments section of publications like the Herald Sun was, to be honest, quite horrific. Lots of people were painting Nadia Bartel as a money-hungry, fame-hungry wife who discarded her husband after he stopped playing AFL. So I do not blame her for wanting to come out and set the record straight. I think there's a really interesting backdrop to this story and this rumoured affair that we need to look into because Abby Gilmore, who is another 
I don't want to use the word wag. What were a former partner of an AFL star, Jake Stringer. And in 2017, two years ago, she came out with a very similar story and came out to the Herald Sun. So Gilmore discovered her partner had been cheating on her with multiple women and discovered so via text messages in the same way Nadi Bartel is rumored to have found out about whatever was going on in London. So the overtness with which Abby Gilmore came out against Jake Stringer in this exclusive interview, in Instagram captions, across social media, across her own blog posts, was really weaponized against her. Despite being the woman who was wronged by the father of her two very young children, she had a baby as well when this story came out. Abby was somehow the perpetrator. Abby was somehow the villain in the story. And Jake was this victimized man who had this unruly ex come out against him, despite the fact he was the one who betrayed her. Yeah, it was a very strange story to watch unfold because I felt like our sympathy was completely skewed. I think it was put in the wrong basket. So when it comes to someone like Nadia Bartel, it comes back to our original point. What do you do when you're in this scenario where you feel like the public should know very baseline details of what happens so that sympathy is put in the right basket without airing dirty laundry. The way that it's happened and it's unfolded has been amazing to watch. Yes. And I say that with the utmost respect for every single player in this story. The way I want to describe it is breadcrumbing. It, I feel like you're so right. I feel like the people around Nadia Bartel have rightly breadcrumbed this story to the public so that there is no ambiguity around what has happened here and, and she, why they have split. And she's not had to say much at all. She's given one statement. It's been it was very kind of vague, measured, very measured, very much about the protection of their two young sons. I think one of the strengths that Nadia had in this story as well is that she has a whole, a lot of friends in high places when it comes to the media. And there've been a couple of great op-eds that have been written by high-profile women who have defended her. One from Kim Wilson who's the fashion editor at the Herald Sun and I find this line Michelle very interesting. She wrote in Ronde this week. I've known Nadia for many years and wrote a post on Instagram on Tuesday expressing my admiration for the courageous and gracious way she has conducted herself since she discovered the former Geelong footballer had been having a long-term relationship with Melbourne girl Lauren Mand via text message. Mm -hmm. Now that story has actually never been confirmed by either party. It hasn't been confirmed by Jimmy and Nadia. It hasn't even been confirmed by the family. But the way that the media are reporting it as fact means that we know the facts. There's no alleged, there's no rumour, and we know the facts without them having to tell us. This is basically her friends having her back saying, this is what happened. You're not going to be able to find the original source because we actually are the original source. Absolutely. The other journalist who has been writing all of these stories around Nadia and Jimmy, and I mean the original stories, which are all going to the Herald Sun, is Jackie Epstein, who is the co-editor of Herald Sun's Confidential Pillar. She's actually a friend of both Nadia and Beck. If you scroll through her Instagram page, they've got photos yeah. together at the Spray Oz launch, at different PR events. And Epstein was the one not only to release the first initial story reporting the split, she was also the one to co-write Nadia's exclusive interview where she said how heartbroken she was and the fact that she was completely blindsided by this. Other stories in the Herald Sun, which clearly Nadia's people have their hands all over the Herald Sun in a great way, I mean that really positively, was when all the other prominent partners of AFL footballers came out and threw their weight behind Nadia Bartel. I think for me that story was the most interesting one. So what happened was Kim Wilson, the fashion editor at the Herald Sun, alluded to in her story the fact that 
she put up an Instagram post of Nadia Bartel supporting Nadia Bartel. And it almost felt like she planted her own story because what she did was she posted this photo, probably encouraged a whole wealth of women. I'm sure you've got a list in front of you, do you? Yes. In the Herald Sun, they've literally rattled them off in one go. Rebecca Judd, Emma Hawkins, Britt Davis, Jesse Murphy, Rebecca Harding, Renee Enright, Elise Knowles, Lauren Phillips, Kylie Brown, Lana Wilkinson, Marie Uber. It's an amazing list of people that jumped on that Instagram photo, commented the support, and then the Herald Sun ran a story about that comment section. It was a very planted story. And once again, we are not saying that this is a bad thing in any stretch. I think this is one of the best manipulations of the media that I've seen in a really long time by the media itself. And power fucking to her. Exactly. I'm sorry. I am so sick and tired of the narrative that women who are wronged by their male partners need to be quiet for the children. And I'm yeah, putting that in the dignified comments. response is the only way that they can still gain our sympathy. Again, keep the private private. Yeah. I'm so sick of that because their male partners weren't thinking of the children when they were doing what they were doing. Why do we expect women to stay silent? I think the way Nadia Bartel has gone about this is genius. And it's either her or the people around her who are doing it for her in a moment of incredible crisis. Including Beck Judd. I did want to say, Mish, think about all the players that we've mentioned in this story, right? Every single player in this story that we have mentioned has been a woman. And I don't want to be overly earnest about this, but it is incredibly heartening and warming to see the most high-profile women in Melbourne arguably come together and drive a story through the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I think... They've probably watched what happened to Abby Gilmore, and I don't think that was fair, what happened to Abby Gilmore, but they probably watched the public response to that and thought, okay, we need the truth out there, like Abby Gilmore got it out, but we need to do it in a way where Nadia doesn't seem like she's... Feeding it. Feeding it. And I think they have every right to do that. If life hands you lemons, fucking make lemonade. I'm right behind this. And I hope that with the launch of her new label recently, lots of people go and get behind Nadia Bartel. Penny, let's just drop it a million times. Let let go and get behind it. I think this is incredible. And I really love people like Beck Judd throwing their weight behind her publicly because I think they have a lot of pull and sway and power in the media and in Melbourne more generally. And as much as I feel heartened and warmed by the story itself, it also feels incredibly disheartening that this is the way the story has to be told in order for the truth to be appreciated and sympathy to go once again into the right bracket. I think it comes back to this very fundamental idea about the fact we frame the partners of AFL stars and any other sporting star in a really sexist way. I think for me, the inference is that they are always leveraging mm-hmm. off these men. They are always in it for fame and not love. So I feel like when a relationship like this does fall apart, it's almost like, well, they had their run. But I think there's something incredibly dehumanizing about how we frame these women and these relationships like they aren't worthy of our respect. Yeah, it's like we paint them like they're social climbers in every sense totally. of the word. And our treatment of them, and I'm saying our in mostly people on social media, as if they are undeserving of our respect, undeserving of our sympathy, undeserving of our open minds. As soon as people heard about this story, they immediately assumed that Nadia Bartel had dropped her husband because he doesn't play footy anymore. And that kind of narrative is so regressive. One thing I did want to finish on with you, Mish, is the little droppings in these stories and references to Jimmy Bartel being an Our Watch ambassador. For quick context for those who aren't across, Jimmy Bartel was raised by a father who was domestically violent. So what he did a couple of years ago is he grew out this incredible beard over the course of months and then shaved it off to a huge media pack to raise money for our watch. What they are doing and what some media publications are doing when they are referencing this split is referencing his 
ambassadorship to our watch and very subtly hinting that maybe the two can't marry. Yes, a quote from one of the stories was, he has taken up roles with our watch to campaign against disrespect towards women. I find that phrasing interesting. I don't think he joined our watch to campaign against disrespect for women does encapsulate it, but it's violence against women that he's really campaigning against. I think Framing it as disrespect kind of muddies the water that if you cheat on your partner, you're in the same camp as men who beat their partners. And I don't think that's entirely fair. I don't stand by what he has allegedly done, but I don't think we can equate the two. A cheater is not an abuser. Well, that's the thing. I think conflating them is incredibly, incredibly dangerous. And though while I do acknowledge that disrespect for women does play into domestic violence, as we have you know conversations about all the time, because it does contribute to a culture where men don't see women as equal, I think the parallel of a very subtle inference of hypocrisy is very unfair. I think he's done some brilliant work at marrying a very important issue with a very male-dominated industry who probably wouldn't focus on it otherwise. And I think that can exist outside of him potentially running amok in his marriage. I think it's really dangerous to reinforce this idea that you can only stand for one thing if you're perfect across the board. Yes. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite because we're all fallible and none of us will fucking stand for anything if that's the case. Yeah, I'll be honest, I do want Jimmy Bartel and men like Jimmy Bartel to be the ambassadors of our watch because they bring the conversation into the exact sphere where it needs to happen. Exactly. But what I do want to come back to, because I think the women are the focus of this story, is how incredible it has been to see them all come together and how incredible it's been to watch the Herald Sun control this story in a way that I appreciate. Last week, shameless listener Zoe struck a chord in our Facebook group. In her post, she wrote, Does anyone else get outrage fatigue and environmentalism fatigue, woke fatigue? Sometimes I just want to use my plastic toothbrush without guilt, read an article about something without getting mad, and watch a TV show without picking apart whether it's misogynistic or not. The response Zara was pretty huge. Lots of our listeners feel tired, and hell, I feel tired. And I also have a theory as to why. In my opinion, culturally, we've begun to shift a disproportionate proportionate amount of blame onto individuals for the faults of our institutions, major corporations and governments, because it's easier to target the little guys than target the big beasts. Collectively, the weight is starting to feel awfully heavy. I know I feel it. Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody's feeling a little tired and a little fatigued. But I think there are also incredible levels of privilege that come with being able to check out and acknowledge that fatigue and actually get tired. For some people, this is stuff that they're living. This is stuff that's going to affect them in the long run. For a lot of issues that you or I might want to fight for, they might be issues that we'll actually never see affect our lives in the long term. They won't penetrate our lives. They won't change the course of our lives. For some people and many others, that is not the case. So I think the place I want to start is with that. Yes, people are tired, but it's also the people that are getting tired are probably the ones that can afford to get tired. Totally agree. For the most part, Zara, let's talk about environmentalism fatigue, or let's talk about it firstly anyway, because it's probably the easiest topic to cover here. I know in myself, I feel so much pressure on me all the time to be environmentally aware that now if I'm in public and I don't have a keep cup on me and I choose to get a coffee, I honestly feel a lot of guilt. I feel a lot of anxiety. I feel like that has risen as well a lot over the last 12 months because I think we've heaped so much pressure onto each other because the alternative of actually looking to big corporations is way more daunting and less accessible. 
There was a great TED Talk by a woman called Juliet Watt that was also posted in this thread. I'm not sure if you watched it, Mish. It was about compassion fatigue. And it wasn't so much about compassion fatigue with regards to the environment or big issues, but actually caring for others. And she talked a lot about this idea of the cost of caring for others. And I found that very interesting, just that phrasing, because I had never considered that caring for anything naturally comes at a cost because you're giving up part of yourself. You're giving up part of your energy. You're giving up your time. And I think the faster we acknowledge that caring for things will come at a cost, the less harsh on ourselves we'll be. I think the best thing that all of us can acknowledge is that no one person can possibly stand for everything. I think it's all about picking our battles. I think we should all step back and say, let's throw ourselves into a couple of key causes. And if everyone does that, if everyone throws themselves into a couple of key causes, we will all be better off because we'll all be fighting a good fight albeit we'll all be fighting different fights. And fighting a fight that we actually care about, we're passionate about. I don't think I can physically be passionate about every cause in the world. And I care a lot. I think I have a lot of caring ability, I guess, but I don't have it in me to care about the environment as much as I do about other things in my life. And I know that's going to upset a lot of people, but I have to be really honest about that. I, I honestly organically care more about violence against women, for example, than I do about environmental causes. And I think the the conversation around the Amazon forest this week, although a lot of it was very productive, some of it to me was very, very unproductive. And I do want to talk to you about a popular tweet that really annoyed me. This is what it was. This has got hundreds of likes and retweets. Don't talk about the Amazon fire if you're using plastic bags, eating meat and supporting companies that don't care about the environment. I feel like because it's easier to do so, suddenly buying plastic bottles of milk at the supermarket is to blame for a far-right Brazilian government coming into power and ramping up deforestation of the Amazon forest. I think if you actually look into that story, for example, and you do your research, scientists, including climate change scientists, have already said that those fires in the Amazon were man-caused, not naturally occurring. Yes, the consequences are dire for the planet at large, but these fires were not caused by global warming. And putting the blame on someone who used as a plastic bag at the supermarket or someone who eats meat is so unfair. I think a lot of this a lot of this discussion and a lot of this discourse has gone down a really bizarre route where we're looking at individuals to solve the problems of governments. Well, I think there's so much onus on the individual not supporting certain things with their their wallets to send a company a message. Don't buy this so the company loses money. And it's it's a natural line of thought. A company will probably only change their act if it affects their bottom line. If it doesn't affect their bottom line, why bother? I think it feels to me a little bit backwards when you strip it back. We as individuals have to carry the weight to try and change the actions of companies and conglomerates that are much bigger than we are with far more influence. Like that does seem like a kind of backwards way to go about it. I have to say though, breaking the fourth wall a tiny bit, we've had countless, countless conversations back and forth over the course of a year and a half about the causes we want to stand for publicly because we know we can't stand for everything. Like Mm -hmm. if our energy is diluted across a million different causes, none of them are going to have any impact and it will dilute all of the other work that we want to do. I think you have to be pragmatic about doing good sometimes and that's one thing we're not really recognizing. Absolutely. I think as well when we talk about environmental causes and again, I know it's really important and I know we need to do more. It's also very 
late in privilege to tell people that they shouldn't buy plastic bottles. We were um we received a DM not that long ago saying that we shouldn't have any plastic bottles in our Instagram stories, and this listener was very disappointed in us for doing so. But we have to acknowledge the layers of privilege in asking people to only use glass bottles. That's money that some people might not have, and we need to look at that and look at yes, maybe your own behavior is very environmentally conscious, and that's amazing. But you don't need to channel your anger into another person. I think we don't do anyone good when we use our anger at other people send that anger upwards but towards each other on the same level I just don't think it's productive well to me it has remnants of that cancel culture conversation where it's like are you actually going to get the best out of people with shame or are you going to get the best out of people with compassion which I know is like the biggest irony of all here because we're talking about compassion fatigue there was a really interesting comment on that thread if you guys aren't in our Facebook group it's shameless podcast community and you can find that thread by googling some keywords but there was a comment that said, well, I really, really agree with this. I really love this Facebook group. But to be honest, sometimes I mute it because there are too many issues, too many things being picked apart. Mm. And I totally appreciated that. It can absolutely be exhausting. As two people who moderate it, it can be exhausting. But I really don't want that to change. I think for every post you or I might be exhausted by or somebody else might be exhausted by, there could be a whole handful of people who learn something. There could be a whole handful of people who are getting smarter, who are learning more, who are finding more compassion. I think in these cases, the conversation actually needs to stay the same. And I know that might be an unpopular opinion. I think things need to be picked apart in the way that they are. Our ability to switch off or redirect our energy needs to get better. Our self-awareness about ridding ourselves of guilt needs to get stronger. I think so. I am interested to hear your thoughts on this because in myself, I actually really regret how I handled something in the group two weeks ago because I think when we do have compassion fatigue or woke fatigue even, when something is presented to us as an issue, I know in myself, I would prefer to lie down and admit that I'm wrong before I've actually investigated it. And I think that's something that I really regret over the last month or so because I think instead of taking the time to think about what I actually think think I'd rather go you're right I'm wrong it won't happen but also we don't have that much time in our day and I say we collectively we don't have time when someone pulls us up on something to go back and do half an hour of reading to work out who's right or who's wrong yeah and I do want to look at this little case study that happened a couple of weeks ago because I'm genuinely interested in discussion about it and if you don't agree with what I'm about to say please come talk about it with me because I'm open to hearing everything but two weeks ago Zara we had a complaint in the Facebook group about using the word tribe in an episode of love etc to describe a group of loved ones and friends. Someone complained and said it was racially insensitive to Native Americans. And I replied saying we were very sorry and it won't ever happen again. But in the weeks since that reply, and I've had time to research and look into this myself, I've learned the etymology of the word that I used so that I could be better educated. And I actually discovered that the history of the word tribe has roots from ancient Rome and Europe. And now that I've looked into it so deeply and how the word tribe has been used, not just in Australia, but across the world, and how in the last 50 years it has metamorphosized into a word to describe different groupings of people who are like-minded and shared interests, I actually don't agree with the apology I put in the group. And I think this says a lot about compassion and woke fatigue in that in the moment, I just wanted to say sorry and move on and that I was going to do better. But I actually do believe, if I'm being really honest with everyone, I do believe tribe was an appropriate word to use in a positive and sensitive context, like when discussing friends and family. Is it fine in every single context? Maybe not. Probably not. But do I stand by how we discussed it in that context? I do. And 
I want that to be acknowledged. I think it's really good that I did my research over the last two weeks because I learned things that I didn't know beforehand. Upon researching words that are offensive to Native Americans and other groups of people, I learned that the word powwow is very offensive because it describes a specific group of people and a specific spiritual practice. I've also learned through this community that using the word gypsy to describe things is wrong because, again, it describes a specific racial group. Both of those words are different, though, because they target specific ethnicities and cultures, whereas the word tribe is a universal word to describe a grouping of people. And I think I need to say that because I need to be able to have the conversation back and forth with people. And I don't think we get anywhere when we respond to these things by lying down and just accepting it. I think I needed to do my research before I responded to that. It's a lot of onus to put on ourselves. And that literally just does a 360 to come back to why we're here, which Mm. is we don't have time and energy to be across every single thing all the time. Mm. This is so multi-layered. So for us to get to a conclusion where we say, actually, let's not lie down, let's do more Googling, let's know more things, kind of just gets us back into the mess that we're in to start with. I also think there's huge merit in actually lying down. I don't think enough people do it. I don't think enough people hear something from someone who might be in a minority who is offended and say, you know what, your emotions and your feelings and your thoughts mean so much more than mine in this context. Therefore, you are right and I am wrong. I think for me, it's actually not just compassion fatigue that seems to be around a lot. I also feel like it plays into this idea that we feel terrible if we aren't the best versions of ourselves at all times. And I know that this might seem like a funny tangent to take. The more I was reading about this and thinking about this this week, I feel like if we aren't looking to learn things or better ourselves, then we feel innately worse because we're in this culture where we all need to be striving for something. Mm. For me, I've been struggling to read so much lately in the last few months. Like I cannot possibly sit down for longer than half an hour and read, which is so weird because I find so much joy in reading and it's manifested into this very strange insecurity like what does this mean about me if I can't sit down for longer than half an hour and read that I'm not getting smarter I'm not being more I'm not being productive with my time maybe I'm just wasting my time in general Mm, I agree with that I totally feel that I think what we need to keep in mind when we're talking to each other about these things and we're debating about these things is intention. I think we need to look at intention because more often than not, the intention is good. We're like back to the environment. Do any of us want to see the planet die? No. Are any of us thrilled by the idea of global warming? No. But most of us are just trying to get through the day. Most of us have a lot on our plates. Most of us are just doing our best. And I think the more we remember that, the more compassion literally will just organically come. And it won't be as exhausting because we're treating each other with respect and trying to understand each other's values and morals and what we prioritize. I think there are some good points that you make there that we do need to encourage when it comes to compassion fatigue. We do need to encourage conversations that are infused with compassion, that we understand each other, that we don't come come at each other with anger all the time. That said, I'm not sure about the focus on intention. I think saying that we all have good intentions is easy to cower behind because if we let everyone get away with things based on intention, no one would be picked up on anything at all. I think we can't just let people off because they mean well. I think we should let people off based on how they respond. Intention to me is kind of irrelevant because I would argue 99% of people have good intentions. And I think then talking about something that we all probably have is a waste of time. I think we should be speaking from a place where we assume 
everyone does have good intentions and then bringing the conversation forward from there. How did they respond? How are we going to respond? How are we going to have this conversation in a productive way with all of that in mind? I think that's all we've got time for today. I definitely think it is. Thank you so much for listening as always. We hope you're having a wonderful Monday if that's when you're listening because I assume most of you do and I say assume based on the stats. I'm just going to let you keep going. That was a very (laughs) awkward sentence you just rambled out. If you want to come and find us on social media, you are so more than welcome. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community. If you want to support the show, there is a couple of really easy ways that you can do that. The first one is take a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and put it up on your Instagram story. Tell your friends to listen or download or subscribe. The other option is, of course, to subscribe. Go into your Apple Podcast app, click that purple subscribe button. That shoots us up the feeds. If you're on Spotify, click follow. Leave a review if you so wish. Join our Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram. I'm know. just going to let you go because that's yeah, how really trailed off. And I'm I wasn't helping at, you. I was literally looking at you to be like, throw me a life raft. Our eye contact there was quite intense. And I literally just stared back being like, go for your life. Go for your life. I'm going to shovel that couscous and pearl whatever thing <laughs> down your throat now. No, thank that you. That was very violent. I'm sorry. I don't mean it that way. We will be in your ears on Thursday, guys. Bye.